following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. But you can call it whatever you want. It's the Bible. So we're going to read it. So let's read uh, Matthew 13, 18 through 25. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in a third, another thirty. Um, so we're going to unpack this a little bit, but uh, and I've entitled this message, Training to be Full, and, and by that I mean being full of the Word. And as we look at this passage, it's clear that uh, the, the main point is that it's the Word of God uh, that makes a difference in our life. And the word of God is always effective. But as we see in the story of these four fields, um, it wasn't equally effective. Uh, it, it produced a crop in some fields, but not others. And so the question is, the, is the message defective? Well, of course, the message is never defective. The gospel is not without power always. But what made a difference was the kind of soil that the word fell on. And uh, so we'll unpack that a little bit. But before we do that, let me talk a little bit about the wonderful age that we live in with all of our great technology and um, all these wonderful tools that enable us to do just really amazing and remarkable things. But as I talked about last week, some of this creates for us distraction. And uh, I hope this week you were able to practice some of the disciplines we talked last week of silence and solitude, of being still before God of turning off your phone and devices and computer and really learning, once again, to be in a place where you are still and quiet before God. Another uh, thing that our, our technology has done, not only has it made us super distracted, but in the midst of all that distraction, it's also um, experts are telling us, making us rather shallow thinkers. Like, they don't come out and say that our technology is making us stupid, but if you read between the lines... That's kind of the point, is that our smartphones might be getting smarter, but we're getting dumber, right? And uh, this is not just based on opinion. There's actually been quite a bit of research that goes into this, which I'll talk about. Uh, but, but what's causing, what's, what's behind it all, is just this incredible flood of information. In fact, we call it what? The information age. And it really is staggering uh, when you think about the volume, the sheer volume of information that is instantly and immediately available to us. Like right now, if you want to find out anything about just about anything, 
you can just pick up your phone and in seconds you can know the answer. It may not be the right answer, but you can feel good about the fact that you have an answer. Right? So, and of course, one of the sources for all this information is uh, Wikipedia. Uh, and it's, it's staggering. So here's, here's just a comparison. Back in the good old days before technology and internet, back when I was still a boy and you wanted to find something out, I would go to my shelf on, of books on, in my house and there was a, a set of encyclopedias there. Okay, like paper ones, right? And you would actually would open this book and you would have to know how you'd have to know how the alphabet worked because it was it was arranged alphabetically. So you actually it mattered which was first, W or R, right? It mattered, right? And you had to learn things like that and you'd go and you would access information. Uh, so here's to put it in perspective. The the current edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica, they actually still make it, believe it or not. Uh, maybe next year they won't, but they still do. Uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica has 40,000 articles. Sounds pretty impressive, right? 40,000 articles, 40,000 pieces of information you could access about things like dogs and horses and vegetables and the atmosphere. Compare that, though, with Wikipedia. Guess how many articles right now are on Wikipedia? As the latest count yesterday, it's, it's grown since then, but as of yesterday, 5 million... 751,927 articles in Wikipedia, only in English. That's just in English. Total, if you count all languages, it's uh, um, more than 40 million articles. 40 million. So, so which is a greater source of information? Well, that's largely debated. Um, here, here's to put it in comparison. So the average encyclopedia set is something like 32, 35 volumes, right? For those 40,000 articles, there's this, there's this group that actually called the Print Wikipedia Project, where they actually decided to print out Wikipedia. Now, why would you do that? I have no idea. But, but get this, uh, the set, which you can buy for $500,000, by the way, the set is 7,473 volumes of 700 pages each. And they'll sell these for $80 a volume or $500,000 for the whole set. So, like, if you want to move from away from technology, you want to get that paper set, you can do that, right? Um, so, um, you know, that's the world we live in. That's the reality of the world we live in. And you would think that the access to all this information would be making us geniuses, right? We talk about God being omniscient, that God knows everything. And out of that wealth of knowing, God is infinitely wise and he can guide us because he knows everything. But now, some would argue... Man is becoming almost omniscient. Like, we really do have access to almost all the information that's possible to know, and we can access it instantly, right? So it makes us, like, almost God, right? We, we've got all, we're, we're, like, almost omniscient. And therefore, we should be really smart and knowledgeable and wise like God. But the statistics are showing that actually the, the very opposite is true. Uh, even uh, one, one uh, article says, even as we've been enjoying the seemingly endless bounties of the Internet, uh, neuro, ne neurologists and psychologists have been carrying out studies which suggest that the way we gather information online impedes or limits comprehension, weakens understanding, and in general hinders learning. Worse yet, the ill effects of heavy web use appear to continue to afflict us even, even when we turn off our computers. Right? So in other words, 
um, it's not just uh, how we access online, but, but we're rewiring the way our brains work. And this, uh, this impulse or this access to constant information is actually changing the way our brain works so that uh, even when we're not on our computer, we don't, we're not as sharp. We're not as bright. We're not as uh, deep thinking. Uh, they did an experiment several years ago at Cornell University where they divided a class into two groups. And one group was able to use their laptops and surf the web as the professor was lecturing. And the other group was not. They had to just sit there and listen. <laughs> Heaven forbid, right? And then at the end, as the kids uh, ended the class, they handed out a, a test to examine how much they remembered of what they had just heard of this lecture. Hands down, the kids who were on their computers scored significantly lower. Even if they were surfing uh, the web and gathering data and information about the things the teacher was talking about. Because our brain just can't function well when we're so distracted, is what the research is showing. The people who just sat and listened and focused, actually, surprisingly, did better. Surprise, right? Um, the, the multitude of messages and other bits of information that the web fires at us, from emails to tweets to fa- Facebooks, the article says, have also been found to interrupt our thoughts in a way that impedes the formation of memories and the building of knowledge. The more information we juggle, the less able we are to make sense of it all. So having all this information at our disposal is not making us smarter. It's making us confused. And it's making us not know how to sift or sort out what's relevant and what's irrelevant, what's important and what's meaningless. Uh, Last year, a team of Stanford Stanford researchers reported that heavy media multitaskers have trouble concentrating even when they're not online. So in other words, we're training our brains to work in a very chaotic mode, right? That's constantly uh, losing focus. They are considerably less able, for example, to distinguish important information from trivial information than are people who uh, engage in multitasking less frequently. The reader said, everything distracts them. Patricia Greenfield, another researcher, wrote this. Uh, She's a psychologist at UCLA. She said, um, there's a growing body of scientific evidence that indicates that spending a lot of time with computers, smartphones, and other devices weakens people's ability to think deeply, critically, and creatively. Uh, As we rush around the web gathering little pieces of information, we seem to be training our brains to be quick but superficial. So how does this relate to us as Christians? Uh, Ironically, uh, a lot of these articles that are warning us about the dangers of of the Internet and how it's making us stupid uh, come out of a book that was published in 2010 by a guy named, I think, Nicholas Carr. And uh, his book was called uh, The Shallows. And he, in his whole book, you can read it, he makes a whole case for how we are making ourselves stupid and shallow. We are losing the capacity to think uh, deeply and significantly by our use of the Internet. Uh, after he wrote that book, for the first couple, two, three years after that, all kinds of articles came out warning us of the dangers and telling people you've got to be careful. You've got to, you know, rethink how we're using all this information. But what's interesting, starting about three or four years ago, those articles all stopped. And people started writing a different set of articles that went like this. Well, according to research, we're getting stupider. And this is a new reality for us. We just have to learn to adapt to. Right? This is just life for us now. 
And the, the good news is, though, that even though we're stupid, our machines are smart. So we just need to know how to use our machines and life will be okay. And that's really the growing attitude. And, and you can look at you can Google it up. And there's tons of articles of people uh, becoming shallow and being okay with it, and and giving up the fact that human beings are incredibly intelligent, created by God for purpose. And they're going, eh, nah. I just want to check Facebook, right? And that's how shallow uh, our world is becoming. Uh, if you don't believe it, here's here's an example. It's the end of an article that's relating about how dangerous all this stuff is. And she actually does a pretty good citing job citing information and, and really supporting this truth. But she ends the article this way. People have long decried the brain rot and moral bankruptcy they perceive to accompany developments in communication and technology. But to suggest that social media uh, use is making us shallow seems one-sided. Right, she just got citing a bunch of articles, right? But in the end, it's just one-sided. Right? Where's the other side? Well, interestingly, she is the other side, but she didn't say anything significant to counter the evidence that she just put forward, right? But, but then, this is, her, this is her argument, right? You know what's actually one-sided, she says. Newspapers and traditional media outlets, they're the ones that are one-sided, some form of institutional power who broadcast, broadcast to a population who until the advent of social media had little ability to immediately reshare the thoughts and hedonistic images they saw. They, the thoughts about the hedonistic images they saw. If awareness of issues, individuals, histories, and opinions, uh, if that's making us hedonistic, I'd... I'd, I'd, I'd I'm sorry, she, she can't even write a good sentence. If awareness of issues, individuals' histories and opinions I'd otherwise probably never be exposed to is making me a amoral or hedonistic, well, see you in hell. Okay. In other words, I'm, I'm shallow and it's making me amoral, uh, but who cares, let's just all go to hell together. Right? And that's the growing mentality. But how does that work for us as Christians? Uh, is this okay for us? Are we okay to just stand by and say, well, you know, our brains are getting shallower and we just got to adjust. And, you know, I'm just going to start letting my phone have my devotions and prayer. You know, I'll just write it on my phone. I'll let the prayer do the spiritual thing for me. Well, of course, we know that's silly, ridiculous, right? And that life for us as believers is one rooted in God's word. And as we read in, in, in uh, Matthew the, the critical thing is that we understand God's word and his truth. So let's look at the parable of the sower and the seeds and see how it speaks to our culture and our time and to us. And basically in this parable, there's uh, four kinds of soil. Technically, there's six kinds of soil because the good soil uh, is ranked at three different levels. But there's four kinds of fields. So the first three are clearly bad, right? And the last one is good because it produces a crop, a harvest. Some 60, some 30, some 100. Which, by the way, in Jesus' day, if you were a farmer and you planted whatever crop, wheat, um, and you got a 10% harvest, a 10-time harvest, so as you plant 10 bushels of wheat and you harvest 100, that's a, an increase of 10 times, that was a phenomenal harvest. If you harvest 20 times, that was like amazing but Jesus says in this parable that you will produce 30, 60, and even 100 times 
the harvest, right? So this is abundance, right? A life that is abundantly fruitful and productive. A life that, uh, and, and we'll see the, the harvest is, is really the righteousness, a life that's impacted by the gospel and being transformed into something very different, something that has meaning and purpose and, uh, and is carrying out God's will, producing fruit for God's glory both in our life and, and around us. That's the goal. But the first three fields he talks about, uh, there's problems. And these fields, none of them actually produce any harvest. They all fail. Right? And he talks about three main dangers or risks or enemies, obstacles, that got in the way of the word being effective in the lives of these people. And Jesus, is an explanation, in his explanation, makes it clear that the seed being sown is the word of God, the truth of the gospel, and ultimately Jesus' teaching. And if you read the background of the story, Jesus was becoming very popular and famous. And so uh, when he would step out to teach, thousands of people were coming. And maybe his disciples were going, man, Jesus, this is, you are on fire. Look at how popular you are. We are, we are having a revival here. And thousands of people are coming and becoming followers. But Jesus looked at the crowd and he said, no, actually that's not true. Out of this crowd, many of them, in fact, maybe the majority of them, will never become true followers of mine. And the reason is that the word, even though they seem to be receiving it, they, they say amen and they go, wow, that was, that was awesome, Jesus. The word is not impacting their life. It's not producing a harvest in their life. And so Jesus said, ultimately, these people are not followers. In fact, uh, they're really not even Christians. Right? They don't have the message of eternal life because it hasn't taken root in the soil of their life. Um, now I'm going to apply, I'm going to kind of miss, I'm going to do a, a major error in, in, in preaching. I'm going to apply this a little differently. Uh, I'm not assuming that you guys are all here listening and that a bunch of you are bad soil who are not in eternal life, okay? Uh, uh, I'm assuming that most of you uh, have received the word and it's taken root in your life and your life is producing that harvest. <coughs> oh, Sorry. <coughs> Mm. Sorry, if anybody's asleep, now you're awake. Um, but but, but I, I think the, the obstacles to God's word, the things in this story that were competing with God's words in people's lives are, same, are, are still true for us, even if we're true followers of Christ. And especially in this very modern technological era. So quickly, let's look at, at the three bad soils. Um, Bad fields, fields that were not productive, and see if there's ways that some of these issues are true in our life, that we're letting the world compete against God's word so that God's word is not filling us and changing us. Right? First, the first field is the, is the field of, uh, I would call, the field without understanding. And it's the seed that was sown on the hard path, the footpath, the soil that was packed rock hard. And when the seed fell on it, it just kind of bounced along. And it says that the birds came and ate it. And Jesus says that the birds represent Satan, who comes and snatches away uh, the word. But what's interesting is Jesus says the reason, uh, the reason it's hard, the reason it didn't sink in is because they did not have understanding. Now, does it mean that when Jesus taught, they had, they had no idea what he was talking about? Well, no. They understood what Jesus was saying. 
But what they didn't understand is how it, it affected and how it, what it meant to them personally. Right? They're the kind of people who would say, well, that's good news. I hope so-and-so is listening. <laughs> I hope so that, that my neighbor, I hope he's here because he needs to hear this, right? They didn't understand that the word was for them, right? And it was really not a matter of, of lack of intellect. It was more a matter of lack of, of commitment that this was truth that they needed, that this was truth for them. And so uh, they didn't have understanding. Um, and, and the truth is that uh, the understanding that was required does not come through brain power or intellect. Jesus is not saying here that they weren't smart enough to figure out what he was saying. Uh, when we look at other parts of Scripture, it's clear that this kind of understanding only comes about through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We are, apart from Christ, blind to spiritual things. And there's no, no amount of willpower, no amount of effort on our part can open our eyes to see spiritual truth on our own. We need God's help. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And these people had become resistant to the Holy Spirit who was trying to open their eyes. But uh, later on we see in the Gospels that they were resistant to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So for us, it's it's important to see that God's word is made effective. We understand it because the Holy Spirit is at work in our life. And I don't understand scripture better because I study it and read thousands and thousands of pages of commentary and because I'm really smart. Okay, I do read thousands of pages of commentaries, but as it turns out, I'm actually not all that smart. Uh, Anything I can share that gives insight into God's word comes because the Holy Spirit guides me into those truths. And the same is true for all of us. Every one of us who is a follower of Christ has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if we welcome him and we invite him to help us, he's the one who will give us greater understanding. Uh, but in the world we live in, we have, um, uh, we've come to think, and, and society tells us all the time, that information is power. And this message gets put out subtly through things like Google search and all these, uh, all these technologies we have. Uh, and in fact, if you go to Wikipedia, Wikipedia has come on, under a lot of fire because even though they have 7,000 volumes worth of information, 5 million some articles, uh, a lot of people point out that uh, there's a lot of inaccurate information in that in, in Wikipedia. Did you know that? <laughs> it's not all true. Uh, who knew? Uh, and that's because anybody can add an article, right? Seven-year-old can get online and he can type a wiki article and submit it and poof, it's there, right? Um, not always completely true. But we've got this idea that information is power. And if I have lots of information, I have what I need to make the decisions and to guide my life, Right? But what we do not understand is that information is not the same as knowledge. Ultimately, information is nothing but data, right? Data. The information is that Wikipedia has 5 million, whatever, 740,000 articles in English. That's data, right? What does it mean? Well, data doesn't have meaning in and of itself, right? You have to look at the data and with some knowledge, you have to interpret it and come up with and decide and discern what it means. And you see, knowledge uh, is the ability to get meaning out of all that information. But we live in an age where people are content with just the facts, just the data, and people don't really spend much time reflecting on what it means. What does it mean that Wikipedia has 5 million, some 7,000 articles in English? What does that mean? 
Well, it means that we love our we love our facts, right? It means we love information. It means that we think we are smart because we can search and find information about anything. But is that true? Well, that's yet another question, right? So there's information, there's knowledge, but even beyond knowledge is a thing called wisdom. And wisdom is the power and ability to discern what's true and what's false. And facts and information and even knowledge can't in and of itself do that. Right? Uh, when you read through a wiki article, how do you know what's true? Well, maybe you're one of those smart people who checks the footnotes, right? Oh, they've got footnotes. They footnoted it. It's got to be true, right? Is that true? Well, for one, of course, Wikipedia would tell you that we evolved from apes, right? Um, is that true? Well, some would say yes, some would say no. How do you know? Well, it takes wisdom. And ultimately, ultimately, it takes turning to the ultimate source of truth, which is what? Wikipedia or Wiki Bible? <laughs> the Bible, right? God is the one who is truth and is the source of truth and from whom all truth comes. Uh, and so here's, here's the danger for us, that we, we think because we have information, that somehow we have knowledge and wisdom and we can, we can just run our lives because we're surrounded by all this stuff. But, but it's an enemy against Scripture if, if we're not turning to the Bible for the source of all truth and wisdom. Right? We need to be filling our life with the Word of God as the ultimate source of truth that gives us not just information and facts, but gives us wisdom. It alone can help us make decisions about our life. Uh, I hate to break this to you, but Facebook is really not a good place to get advice for your life. Uh, yet how many people are living their life based on things they got off of Facebook, right? Um, the Bible should be the thing that guides our life. And so that's the first field. Uh, lack of understanding because we're looking to the wrong things and we're not relying on the Holy Spirit speaking his word to us to give us understanding about life and ultimately about salvation uh, and about how God wants to change us and what his word wants to do in a second field. Oh, this one I really like, right? Second field. Um, um, as, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when trouble, tribulation and, or persecution arise, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Right? Uh, in, in Jesus, in, in Israel, where, where Jesus lived and taught, uh, many places were, were quite mountainous and quite rocky. Uh, but oftentimes the rocks were just under the surface, so you could look at a field or a hillside and it looked like good soil. And so the farmer would try to plant uh, seed there and he would sow it. But just under the soil, an inch or two was just solid rock. Right? It was deceptive. Um, and, of course, the seed would sprout, uh, but it couldn't put down any root. And so when things got hard, when the sun came out, when the heat came, uh, it would wither and die. Right? And he's talking here about people who uh, uh, have a life that is, as we said, shallow, right? shallow. There's no ability for the word to go deep into their life and take root in, in ways that's enduring, that will last, that will produce a, a harvest or fruit. Um, 
And uh, while, while, while what Jesus intended this uh, may have been uh, kind of different, let, let me think about what it means for us to be shallow. This whole thing about uh, no longer needing to remember anything, right? And, and here's, here's, the, here's, a, here's a test case of this, right? Um, do you need to remember anything? Praise God, actually we don't, which is good for me because I think I've got early onset Alzheimer's and I'm forgetting stuff all the time. Or is it just because I've trained my brain now to not have to remember? So here's the thing. I'm 57 years old. I can still remember my phone number from when I was five years old. 697-8101. Poof, it's just there. It's just there, right? And actually several other phone numbers, right? But, but here's... So anybody, anybody remember your phone number when you were a kid? Okay. Now for those of you who are like 20, that's cheating, right? Like I, if I can go back 50 years, right? I can remember those phone numbers. Okay, now here's the real test, though. How many of you know your spouse's phone number or your best friend's phone number? Okay, four of you. Awesome. Right? I don't know my wife's phone number. If I, if my, if I ever lose my phone and it breaks and, and I'm like somewhere where, and I have to like call, I'm in trouble because the only person I know how to call is myself. <laughs> right? I'm in trouble. Um. And, and the reality is, I, and I think back to back in the days before all this stuff, I used to know lots of phone numbers. But I don't have to know it anymore because my phone remembers for me. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But, but here's the truth. We've started to wire our brains so that we don't remember things anymore. We are becoming shallow thinkers because we don't, we don't hold knowledge. We don't hold truth. We don't hold memories like we used to. We have trained our brain to say, I don't need to know. And part of it being so overwhelmed with all this thousands and thousands and thousands of barrage of information and knowledge, uh, we feel overwhelmed, and so we don't even try. But uh, as we'll see in in a moment, God wants us to remember his word. In fact, through both the Old and New Testament, that word remember comes up often. Remember my covenant. Remember my commands. Remember my instructions. Um. We cannot live the Christian life by letting our phone remember God's word for us. It doesn't work that way. For the word to come into our life in a way that produces fruit and transforms us, we actually have to know it and remember it and think about it so that it sinks roots into our life where it has influence and impacts us. So, you know, if we're becoming more and more shallow, we're remembering less and less we're holding on to God's word less and less, uh, it will impact our spiritual life. And we will become people who become less and less fruitful because God's word will not have the power it needs to have in our life. Right? Um, last one. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Uh, This is the person where where, where the the world is choking out the word in our life. And he says that's being choked out these thorns. It's a field that the, the plant grows up, but there's too many weeds. And if you've gardened much, you know how this works. If the weeds overtake overtake your garden, what happens? Eventually it'll kill the plant. Uh, or the plant may survive, but it will never produce those nice big tomatoes or carrots or whatever you're trying to grow, right? It's, it, it, 
prevents it from being productive and producing a crop or a harvest. And he says that the, the thorns, what's crowding at it is the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of, 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 of wealth. The, what are the cares of the world? Well, it's, it's the things that the world worries about and thinks are important. Um, and in our digital age and in our social media age where <clears throat> this stuff is just constantly in our face, right? Every time you tweet or Twitter or go on Facebook or go on social media, what you're mostly being confronted with is the cares and concerns of the world. And what does the world care about? <clears throat> well, it cares about things like, how many followers did I get, right? How many, how many people saw my post or my tweet or my Twitter or my Pitter or I don't know, all this stuff, right? How many people watched my video? How many people liked it, right? How many people said good things about that picture that I posted up? Right? And of course, even worse, if you put up a picture and somebody says, man, you've gotten fat. Right? Ah. Right? There goes your whole identity. <laughs> Crashed right there. Because right? that's what's important to the world. Your looks, your popularity, right? uh, your appearance of being successful. And the cool thing about the Internet, you don't actually have to be successful. You can pretend. Right? You can just make stuff up. And everybody thinks you're cool. It doesn't have to be real. Uh, and, and he says not only that, but it's the deceitfulness of wealth. It's the lie of Satan that we cannot be happy unless our life is full of material possessions and good things. Now, believe me, God, God blesses us materially. God wants us to enjoy his creation. But those things can never make you happy. The truth is that happiness is found in Jesus alone. And lots of people have tried lots of other paths. But I, I'm, I'm telling you, the Bible's clear on this one. <clears throat> you cannot be truly happy. Your life cannot be truly filled with joy apart from knowing Jesus and apart from knowing the joy that there is in relationship with him. But the world is, is lying to us and is <clears throat> deceiving us that we need all this stuff in our life or we won't be happy. And so those, <coughs> those are the enemies. <coughs> those are the enemies that are choking out God's word. So, so how do we become a good field, a productive field, a field that's producing in our life <coughs> and around us uh, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of a life that's being changed and is making a difference in the world? <coughs> well, let me just give a, a, a few practical things. Quickly, uh, first, <coughs> oh, thank you. I need this. Um, first thing, um, what we sow into our life is the word, right? To follow Christ, to know Him, to have a, a life that is fruitful, we must be sowing into our life God's word constantly, right? Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ dwell, let it fill you up. Let it constantly be a presence in your life. And not just kind of, but richly. Right? The idea is of a, of a home that has not only quantity of stuff, but has quality of stuff. Like you can have a lot of something, like, you know, if you always shop at Walmart, you, you'll always have a lot of junk. Right? But if you can afford to buy expensive stuff, right, you'll have a lot of quality stuff. Well, it's talking about the quality of God's word 
being abundantly full in our life, in our minds, in our thoughts, in everything that we do. John 8, 31 and 32, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word. There's freedom from the, the bondage of this world. If you're abiding, if you're living in God's word continually, continually. John 15:7. if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so the principle here is that we need to fill our life with God's word. We need to discipline ourselves to be full of the word. And I do think it takes spiritual discipline. Um, so how, how do we do that? And um, let me say this. Reading the Bible, being full of God's word, is not a cause and effect relationship. Like way back in the day when I first came to Jesus, I thought it worked like this. I thought, you know, God said, I want you to have your devotion. So in the morning I would get up, I'd get inspired, I'd get up, I'd read my Bible. I would read a whole chapter and I would pray and I would be like, today's going to be a really good day because I did the God thing and now it's going to go really well. And like the first day it did, I had an amazing day. I was happy, life went well. I was like, wow, this works. I did it the next day. This time I read two chapters. It's going to be twice as good. Right? And it was. It was awesome. Right? Third day, I thought, I'm going to read three chapters. I'm going to blow this thing open. I'm going to be so happy. Like, people are going to, like, I'm not even going to be walking on the ground. Right? Read three chapters. Prayed for like 20 minutes straight without stopping. It was awesome. Went out. Had the worst day of my life. Right? Everything went wrong. I was like, what happened? I did the thing. Right? Well, uh, reading God's word is, is hugely impacting, but not because it's cause and effect. It's not a big, gigantic um, machine you put a quarter in or a ten baht or whatever, and, and out comes a candy bar. It doesn't work that way, right? It's not how it works. Instead, it is a means to an end, Right? There's nothing magic about reading the Bible, and it's not a good luck charm that's going to make everything go good in your life. What it is, though, is a means to fill your life with God's word in ways that God's word starts changing you, and that has effect. And eventually, over time, you'll start having good days. And the cool thing is that even when your whole life falls apart, you can still have good days. Because you have roots in your life into something more substantial than the shallowness of this world, and you can endure hard things because you've got the power of God's word resonating and firing in your life, right? So it's not, it's not cause and effect. It's a means to an end, right? And it's the process of, of filling our life with God's word. So when I talk about these disciplines, it's not magic, right? But it's the path we must go down if we want to get to the top of, of, of the mountain of knowing God and being changed by him. Right? So real simply, how do we do that? Well, we do have to read the Bible. Right? To get God's word into you, you have to start by reading it. And it is important. I do suggest that you get up every morning or at night or at lunch or maybe actually more than once a day, you stop and you read the Bible. You read it. Right? Like from Genesis to Revelation, like the whole thing. I know it's like a really thick book. You know, and I have the paper version. The Kindle version is a lot thinner. 
So maybe you want to read the Kindle version. Read it. Read the whole thing. Read the whole thing often. Like I remember once I, had, I talked to somebody about reading the Bible. I said, yeah, I read it once. And like, it was good, but you know, once was enough. No, read it often. Right? Read it. Uh, and sadly, a lot of people think that that's enough. Reading the Bible is not filling your life with the Word. Right? If that's all you're doing is reading it, uh, it's going to have a little tiny influence, but very little. Right? You need to do more. Secondly, you need to understand it. Remember the goal is, you need, to, you need to study it because the goal is understanding. You have to study it. Right? You have to actually think about it. Right? And thinking about it does not mean searching on Wikipedia. Right? It means like digging into it yourself and trying to get knowledge and understanding that the Holy Spirit speak to you through his word. Study it. Third thing, that's not enough either though. I know a lot of people who are brilliant Bible scholars but are like super shallow in their spiritual depth. Right? You can understand the Bible super well and still be super shallow spiritually. Um, because we have to get it from our head into our heart. And how do we do that? Well, two ways. First, uh, I think we need to be memorizing scripture, like memorizing it. And maybe you think, yeah, I did that when I was a kid, and I probably know 100 Bible verses by memory. Good for you. But don't stop, right? This should be a constant ongoing, especially if we live in a world where it's training us not to remember. One of the best things you can do for your brain, if nothing else, is memorize scripture, right? Memorize the Bible. And the cool thing is, I'm going to kind of undermine everything I'm saying right here. There's cool apps on your phone to help you with this. It's awesome. Bible memory apps are the greatest thing ever. They help you remember to remember and to review, right? Very helpful. Uh, Memorize scripture. Memorizing scripture is also not going to change you a whole lot by in and of itself. But what you're doing is you are giving the Holy Spirit bullets in his gun, to start killing the dragons in your life, right? And to start speaking into your life. Um, next step to get it from our brain to our heart is to meditate on it. And this is why I think memorization is so important. And there's other ways to do this, but we, we have to meditate on it. Right? We have to think about it, contemplate it, ponder its meaning. And, and a great way to do that is if you've memorized scripture, uh, you can start thinking about it more often, right? Otherwise, you can listen, you can listen to sermons, you can read devotionals, um, you, you can read slowly and contemplatively, right? But, but we must be, if you want to fill yourself with the Word, must be meditating on the Word. And finally, uh, we need to um, pray it, to pray Scripture. And we'll talk more about that hopefully next week. Um, let me close with this last thought about growing deep in God's word. I think, I think we do this two ways. So we need to practice these things. Read, study, memorize, meditate. Right? Um, and some of you are thinking, you know, my day's full. I don't have a lot of time. This sounds very time consuming. And, and I do think we need to block out blocks of time to do this. Uh, and I think you need to have a regular time every day uh, where you spend 30, 40 minutes, maybe an hour, reading in the word studying, right? I hope you do that. And I think it needs to be a priority. But I think also there's great power on top of that in filling the little spaces of our life with scripture, right? Because like if, I, if you get up in the morning and you, you do the Bible reading thing, honestly, for me, by 10 o'clock, I forgot everything already. And if I wait until the next morning, like I've, I've got myself in all kinds of trouble, Right? 
Um, I think really filling our minds and our hearts and our lives, really getting God's word from our brain to our heart and into our life requires constantly thinking about the word, right? finding ways for it to constantly fill our thoughts and minds. And, and, and here's the thing that we do, right? How many times a day do you pick up your phone? Well, now if you have an iPhone, it'll tell you, right? How many times a day? How many times an hour? And, and that's become our default, our, our default. I have nothing to do. Oh, where's my phone? Uh, I, I'm waiting in line. Oh, where's my phone? I mean, I see it now at the stoplight. People stop at the stoplight, right? And the light turns green and they're not going. Why? Because they're on their phone and I just want to run them over, right? Because right? that's what we do, because we've got 30 seconds at the stoplight, so we're on our phone. Right? Imagine if instead of going to our phone, we actually just thought about the Bible. All those times all day long when you're checking your phone, what if we just started thinking about Scripture? Like maybe go to your phone and open that Bible app, right? Um, instead of Facebook. It would be life-transforming. Right? Life-transforming. But it is a discipline we must, we must build into our life to start turning our thinking and our minds and our attention to God's word so that we understand it so that we are rooted deeply in it and so that we can counteract the lies of the world around us that are competing against the message of God it's the only way Jesus says the only way our life will bear fruit that our life will be productive and that our life will be changed and impacted let's pray You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.